I want to uh, encourage you to think about the most difficult thing in your life right now. It might be something that's, that's happening right now, this, this week, this year, this time. Or it might be something that you kind of clump together and you think about your whole life. You think, this is the thing that's giving me the most trouble. This is the thing that recurs and comes together. It might be a person. It might be an event. It might be a sequence or uh, an event of abuse. I don't know what it is, but what's the thing in your life that's the biggest problem in your life? And we've all got one, maybe two or nine, I don't know. But what's the one that just you think, you know, this is the thing that just keeps coming up and is a problem in my life. And as we go through the passage today, I hope you will try to relate uh, what we're going to look at to your problem. Now, this isn't ultimate for me, but one of the problems I've identified in my life, the thing that keeps coming up is I think, God, if you'd made me a smarter guy, right, if I had more brains, well then, we all know and we're taught in America, with knowledge comes what? Power. And those who have the power get the the money, right? And those who get the money, what do you do with your money? You buy freedom. And what do you have your freedom to do? Anything you want, thus making you the God of your own life. And so I've, as I've thought about my life, I thought, yeah, yeah, God, if you just made me super smart, then I'd have all this and I wouldn't have all these other problems that I have because the power would come, the money, the freedom, and I'd be in charge. And this is just... It's a natural human tendency to think my problem's in my way if I could just get rid of my problem. But what's your biggest problem? And, and I'm not, I, that's kind of a silly example. Some, some of us have really significant problems. And when we look at the children of Israel, we look at Israel, and we look at these, this passage in Isaiah today, their problem is a mortal problem. Threat. It's not a. It's not a. Oh, I'm afraid that the the neighbors might, uh, you know, move, and I don't know what'll happen. It's like no, no. This is a mortal threat that they're facing. What's the mortal threat of your life? If you look at your outline and, and you look at this dark box on the top left, the big idea. This is what we're going to talk about today. And the idea is this: I have problems, right? We all have something in our life that's disturbing us. We have problems. And when we have problems, the natural result is anxiety, fear. And so when we feel these emotions, the fear of the threat of death and what's coming and what we see looming over us in our problem, we have to process that some way. And sometimes we process our fears and our problems in a healthy way. And a lot of times we don't. And so part of the thing for you today is to say, okay, what are my problems and how have I been processing my problems? Have I been processing my problems and my pain and my fears in a healthy way or in a less healthy way? And what what does God say about that? And then we're going to see in the passage, and I I hope we, we all get this point, if we only get one thing. That when we consider our lives and the problems we have, whether they're small or big, it sounds trite, but it's true, God has a different perspective 
of our life in our problems, whether they're big or grand. He has a different perspective than we do, and we're going to talk about his perspective just a little bit. And then we're going to see that the, the result of our life, the result of history, the result of Israel's history, the result of world history, the, the existence of humanity on this planet, that big, big scale, and in my individual life, the goal, the hope, the end is worship. That's what God is trying to teach us little by little Every day, through our problems, the way we cope with our problems, learning about God and his perspective, what he's wanting us to do is to say, I trust you in the chaos, in the problems, in the pain, in the anxiety, in the fear, and I'm going to worship you in the midst of it. Does that make sense? Now, if, if we could learn that, our lives would be very different. We'd be, we'd be better Christians, really, wouldn't we? Look at the uh, box on the far right where it says Isaiah 18 through 20. So the big idea, three, these three chapters, a lot of data, a lot of material. Here are some of the big ideas. Judah, or the southern kingdom of Israel, has a big, big problem. And their problem is Assyria. And that's kind of what's going on and the theme in the book. is If you look at the, the map at the bottom left there, Assyria has conquered the entire Fertile Crescent and they're coming down and they see them up there and they know these guys can wipe us out. They're, they're the dominant world empire. And Assyria is saying to Israel, I'm coming to get you. And they're afraid. Naturally, they're afraid. And so their problem is Assyria. And this isn't just, oh, Assyria. It's like, no, they're going to kill us, right? This is, we're going we're to lose everything. And so they're afraid. And so like you, like me, they have a fear, they have a problem. They're processing their fear. How do they process their fear? They say, well, the only thing we can do is make an alliance with Egypt and Ethiopia or Cush. Because if you look at the map, there's no hope. There's no hope in the north. The Assyrian Empire goes all the way over to the east. We can't go for hope out into the water. So they look south, and below them, beneath the, the nation of Israel, are two huge, strong civilizations. One is called Ethiopia. Now, it's more than Ethiopia is today. It was called Cush. It included Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea. Uh, I can't remember all the other countries, but it's a huge area that they controlled, and they were in an alliance and in control of Egypt at this time. So they say, we're going to make an alliance with the southern countries to fight against the, invade, the northern invasion. And the guys in the south are happy to do that and make Israel their little Belgium in the battleground. We'll fight, we'll fight the Assyrians on Israel's land instead of bringing them down into our country to fight them here. So they're happy to make this alliance. So the way, they're making, the way that Israel is coping with their problem is making an alliance with Ethiopia and Egypt. And God says, I have a different perspective. And he says very clearly in chapter 20, don't make this alliance. And you say, well, why not? It seems very natural. Why would we stay this little tiny country the size of Maui? Why would we stay here and try to fight the Assyrian Empire on our own? 
And God says through the prophet in chapter 20, the reason why is because Assyria is going to conquer Egypt and Ethiopia and the lands of Cush before they conquer before they come to you. They're going to be conquered as well. So why would you make an alliance with a nation that's going to be conquered? And he says it in this very dramatic, poetic uh, way. He says they're going to be hauled off, bare-bottomed back to Assyria. So don't go with those guys. They're going to be humiliated by the Assyrians. And then there's two really beautiful sections in this, these passages where lastly it says that the nations are going to praise God. And we're going to see how God is going to culminate not just our little lives and our little gardens and our small existence, but all of the history of the world, all the history of the Middle East, all the history of the nations, he's going to culminate and bring them together into a place of praise to him where he is the center of, of universal existence. And that's what he's trying to do on the grand, not trying, it's what he is going to do on the grand scale and what he's trying to help us do on an individual scale. So you need to know today what your uh, problems are and you need to know the ways you have processed uh, your problems. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. So chapter 18, it's Ethiopia. Chapter 19 is Egypt. In chapter 20, I call it, uh, I call chapter 20 the, the bare-bottomed brawlers. Some of you have heard of the band, the Bay City Rollers. Well, this is a different band. This is the bare-bottomed, the bare-bottomed brawlers. And this is where God tells uh, uh, Isaiah to go about naked, however we interpret that, for three years to give a, a sign and a symbol to the people. It's like, this is what will happen to you. You'll, you'll be let off in exile, naked, bare-bottomed by the Assyrians if you trust in Egypt and Ethiopia. So he says, so, so don't do that. But again, to understand this passage, we have to say, okay, Israel was going against the will of God and trusting in Egypt and in uh, Ethiopia. How are you processing your fear? How are you processing your problems? What are you looking for to help you? Some people, we do it all differently. Mary and I had a night this week, earlier this week, where we were both just exhausted. And we felt like we had a lot of problems. And we were just tired emotionally, spiritually, physically. And you know how we we processed it? We, Mary goes, do we have some of those pretzels we got from Costco? Or, yeah. So I got this big bag of pretzels and this other bag of like really cheap chocolate. So we watched Netflix and ate pretzels and chocolate. What? I'll, I'll pay you later. And, and that's a silly example, right? But you know what I'm saying. We feel this, these external threats. And so what do we do? We, we say, I, I'm overwhelmed. I got to do something. I got to make, make something happen here. And so we can do it as simply as by what we put in our mouth or how we spend our time or what we do to veg out or escape. Yeah, like carbs and sugar. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so we see Israel does this on a grand national scale, but we do it on a very uh, limited individual scale. Now we're going to see uh, how, how the nations uh, cope. Look at the, uh, center box, the bottom center box where it says how we, 
how we process or cope. And in, this, in these chapters, in chapter 18 and 19, Isaiah is doing two things. He's saying, this is how, this is how Ethiopia copes, and this is how Egypt copes. And in, and in studying what they did to cope with God and with their future and their fear, we can see something about what we do. In chapter 8, if you have a Bible, open to chapter 18. In verse 1 it says, Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, down south of Ethiopia, Cush, which sends ambassadors by sea, even in vessels of reed on the water. Go, swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth of skin, to a people terrible from the beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down, whose land the rivers divide. So here he's using this very poetic language to describe what we would call now and what they would, I don't know what language they would use then, but this is black Africa. He's saying these messengers are coming from the the Sahara area or the sub-Sahara area of Africa coming up to form this alliance. He says, go, go make an alliance with them. See how that works for you. And then they, he talks about what the people from this area of Sudan, Somalia, uh, put their confidence in. They put it in their environment, in their technology, in their people, in their military, and in their linguistics. Sound familiar? Isn't that, isn't that kind of what we do as nations and people? We say we have to preserve our environment. We have to develop our technology. We have to invest in our people. We have to show, project military strength and use our linguistic advantage to protect ourselves. And that's what they did. And then look at chapter 19, and we'll read verses 1 through 4, and we'll see some of what the Egyptians did to protect themselves from the threat of Syria and death. The burden against Egypt... Uh, Verse 1, chapter 19. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in the midst. God walks in and they're saying, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're going to trust in our religion. God walks in and they melt. Verse 2, I will set Egyptian against Egyptian. Everyone will fight against his brother. Everyone against his neighbor. City will fight against city, kingdom against kingdom. We would say counties are at war with each other. States are at war. The spirit of Egypt, the spirit will fall and fail in its midst. I will destroy their council. And they will consult the idols and charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers. And and the Egyptians I will give into the hands of a cruel master, Assyria. And a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord of hosts. And then it goes on from there. So what are the... What are, in these verses, the Egyptians doing? How are they coping with the fear of Assyria? They're running to their religion. And there's no hope in religion. Religion won't save you. They looked to their national unity. They said, we have to project national strength. 
God says, I'm going to mess that up. They looked to family unity, fraternity. They looked to their neighbors and their community and cooperation. We're going to build a strong city. We're going to have solidarity. We're going to trust in our kingdom. And God says, I'm going to bring you to civil war. You're going to be destroyed from within. And then they say, well, we'll, we're going to trust in our political leadership and in the the royal family. And and God, he laughs. No, I'm going to destroy that. I'm going to ruin that. But these are the things that we as humans do. This is how we cope. We say, it's going to be our nation, our religion, our neighbor, our city, our state, our political system. God says, don't run to those things for comfort. Don't process your problems in those ways only. And then in chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, it describes how Egypt trusted in their ecology and the waters and the rivers and the seas and the brooks and the reeds and the rushes, the crops and the agriculture and the fishing industry and husbandry, and how they produced food. Flax and fabrics and weavers. And I, I, you may have Egyptian broadcloth. You ever heard of that? You can get, go to today and buy sheets and shirts and things from cotton and flax that come from these beautiful areas of uh, Egypt. He says they were trusting in that. And he says, I'm going to take your jobs and your money and your economy and your investments and I'm going to bring them to nothing. I'm going to dry up the Nile. Imagine what Portland would be like without the Columbia and the Willamette. You'd be devastated. In beer. In beer. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, but, but Egypt says, we have, an, I, I, googled, I googled this week, uh, the strongest armies in uh, the continent of Africa. And back then, and to this day, Egypt has the strongest, largest, most developed army on the continent of Africa. And they said, this is us. Check us out. We can take on anybody on the African continent. And God says, it's not enough. It's not enough. And so they coped through these very natural human means. How are you coping? How are you coping with your anxiety? How are you coping with your fear? How are you coping with your stress? Now I'd like to shift your attention to uh, that center box where there's a scripture there. It says, for the Lord said to me. This is the perspective that God is giving to Isaiah. And he uses, like he does so many times in these passages and in this book, he uses metaphor. Look at chapter 18 and verse 4. And we're going to camp here for just a little bit. The Lord said to Isaiah, God saying, I will take my rest and I will look from my dwelling place like clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect at just the right time and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, God will cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches, and they will be left together for the mountain birds of prey and the beasts of the earth. The birds of prey will summer on them, and the beasts of the earth will winter on them. For the Lord said to me, I will take my rest. 
the first thing, thing we see is we're freaking out in this life, aren't we? We are full of fear. We are full of anxiety. We know we're going to die. We know Assyria is coming to get us. And we're scrambling to, to marshal resources to fight our fears. And this is, and God says to Isaiah, I want you to tell the people something. I'm at rest. I'm not freaked out. I, I'm not scared. I'm at rest. And I look from my dwelling place. And then he describes something that's very vivid to me. I used, I used to work on a farm. Get up in the, fa- in the farm in the morning, harvest time, and there's this mist over the field that God brings at night to prepare the crops, to nourish and moisten the crops. And he says, I'm, I'm like this fog over a field that's about to be harvested. You don't, you, you don't feel me, you don't understand me, but I'm there and I'm, I'm over this. And he says, and I'm like, the, I'm like the glistening heat at noonday. And I have, you maybe, even this week I saw it, uh, one of the sunny hours. You know when it gets really hot and you see that mirage on the distance? God says, I am like a mirage over your life. And, and the heat, I'm, I'm just, I'm twinkling and glistening over it. And he goes, I have a different perspective. I see the entire thing. And he says, I look, I look from my dwelling place. There's a little photograph on the left there of, it looks like, a, I don't know what you call that. A, there's a farm, it's a farmhouse. We'll call it a farmhouse. He says, I'm like a, I'm like a farmer that gets up in the morning and I look over my fields. And I got it. I, can, I understand it. You're freaking out. You're the grapevine. You're the grape and you're saying, I see the, the, the thorn bushes are coming after me. Something bad's going to happen. The other, there's all this movement and you don't understand it. And he says, I understand it. I get it. The, the, and he's, he's calm. He's at rest. He's having tea before he goes out into the, his garden. Now, I understand it this way. I, um, in our, our little backyard, now that it's springtime, we have got bushes. I'm not exaggerating. They sometimes grow an inch a day, it seems like. And we've got this nasty one in the north of our backyard, and it has these thorns that come out. They're like this. And I, I get up, and I, I have a thing. I'm kind of angry with it. You know, it's like I see that thorn bush, and it's like it grows so fast. And if, I don't, if I'm not careful, it's going to take over the yard. And you and I are like the bushes near it. And we see Assyria coming with its thorns to overtake us. We're like, God, God, no. He's like, he's like I see it. I got my loppers. And I'm, and I'm, I'm watching. And I'm not going to let it. I'm not, it's going to be okay. I got this. And to you, what is an insurmountable international crisis, he's like, when the time is right, after I've had my breakfast, I'm going to come out and I'm going to prune the people and the nations and the armies of the world in my time and in my way for my purposes, in my glory. And what you need to do is rest because I'm at rest and you can trust me. I know exactly what I'm doing. So God has a different perspective. And then if you look to that little box on the right, he has a different perspective because he has a different power. 
God is out. God, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens. In, in the beginning, that's time. He's outside of time. He created the heavens. He's outside of space. And he created the earth. He's outside of matter. So this God of ours is outside of time, space, and matter and sees everything from an entirely different perspective, an entirely different power. And what freaks us out is, to him, it's, it's a calm day. And what we'll see further in the passage is he has a different pa- passion. Because, like I just said, I have an animus against the thorn bush that grows so fast. And here's what God says. I love the thorn bush. And I, I'm going to do something special for that thorn bush. I'm not going to pull it up. You're, you're saying, pull it up by the root, God. Cut it down. He's like, no, I, lo- I like it. I planted it. I, I'm gonna, I love you, but I'm going to do something special with the thorn bush too because here's the thing we don't understand. God doesn't just love the abused. He loves our abusers. And here are these nations to this day surrounding Israel. God says, he who, he who messes with Israel sticks his finger in my eye. How many times has Egypt put their finger in the eye of God? How many times has Assyria, Iran, Iraq, Libya, all these countries put their finger in the eye of God? All the time. And we say, God, wipe them out. Take them out. Get your loppers. Cut them down. He says, you know, as much as they annoy me sometimes, I love them. I planted them there and they have a future with me. And we're like, wow. You have a different perspective. You have a different power. You have a different love and passion than we do. Look at the, uh, the bottom right uh, box in your outline where it says how we will praise. And let's look at chapter 19 and uh, look at some of these verses together. In chapter 19... In verses, starting at verse 18, I'll read for us. In that day, now he's talking about the future. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the millennium. Israel is focused on the present, and they say, we're going to die. And God says, I see another day. I see the future. He says, in that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts, and one will be called the city of destruction. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors and God will send them a savior, a mighty one, And God will deliver Egypt too. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. And they will make sacrifice and offerings. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt. And he will strike and he will heal Egypt. He has a different passion, a different love than we do. 
and they will return to the Lord and he will be entreated by them and he will heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians will go into Assyria and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. Amazing. In that day, there will be there will be one of three, they will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land. We would say in the midst of the Middle East. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and blessed is Assyria. The work of my hands and Israel my inheritance. So what the prophet is saying is there, it looks like a mess now. It looked like a mess in, in Isaiah's day. And it did. And it was. And does it look like a mess today over there? Yeah. You just pick up any international newspaper today. It's a mess over there. It's terrible. But Isaiah says, God is in charge. God is in control. And we're like the Israel uh, of this time, the, the children of Israel this time. We're afraid because we see all these armies marching and maneuvering and, and not just the armies, but the military and the banks and the, oh. And it's just constant. And Isaiah says, I see a day when there'll be peace in the Middle East. And how is that going to happen? In chapter 19 and verse 18, it says three things will happen. First, it says they, there will be five nations in Egypt that will speak the language of Canaan. They're going to speak Hebrew. How do you, how do you learn to speak Hebrew? Well, you, set, you have to change your mind. And, you're going to, they says, and there's going to come a day when the Egyptians' mind will be filled with the things of the God of Israel. He's going to do this. And that's how, we, that's how we will praise him, is when we put the mind of God in us and ingest his word and his words. We think his thoughts after him and we think like a, after him. Then in verse 19 it says, there will be an altar in Egypt and it will be in the center of the nation. How do we worship? We put God at the center of our lives. Not on the periphery, but in the very center of our lives. And then it says there will be a pillar in dedication to God at the border, at the front door. It's like a, it's like a national mezuzah. They put this, this pillar in front of the borders. Like I said, welcome to Oregon. They're like, Egypt worships the Lord God of Israel. Wow. That's amazing. It's amazing. And that's how we praise him. We, we say, God, I'm going I'm to absorb your mind. I'm going to put you at the center of my life. And I'm going to put your name on the front door of all that I am. Look at verse 20 of chapter 19. This is how we do it. This is how Egypt will do it, and this is how we do it. Verse 20 says, Egypt will cry to the Lord. And that's the solution to your fears. That's the solution to your pain. That's the solution to your problem. That's the way God is encouraging us to cope. He said, if good enough for Egypt, if it's good enough for Ethiopia, it's good enough for Syria, 
It's good enough for us at Shepherd's Gate. Cry to the Lord. Give your problem to God. Cry out to Him. And He, God, will send a Savior. Mm. Mm -hmm. Has He sent us a Savior? Yes. And He will send a mighty one. And He's saying mighty in contrast to the kings of Egypt. In, in contrast to the great wealth and power of the continent of Africa. A mighty one in contrast to all the empires of the Middle East. All the oil money, all the intrigue, all the fighting. He said, no, I'm going to send a mighty one who's over the continent of Africa, over the Middle East, over Europe, over Asia. I will send a mighty one and he will deliver them. How do you unite Israel, Africa, and the Middle East and find world peace? It's when, it's when together, it's not going to be through the United, Nothing, uh, United Nations. It's, it's going to be when we all rally around the mind of God and put God at the center, God in the front door of our, our hearts and our hopes, and we cry out to him and we worship the Savior and the mighty one that he will send to deliver us. And we unite in him. In verse 21, we see how healing can come in the midst of our anxiety and pain. In 1921, it says, the Lord will be known to Egypt. The first thing is, is if you want healing for your anxiety and your fears and your, your maladaptive coping mechanisms and behaviors, how do you find that? You, first thing is you get to know the Lord. And then in, in verse 21, the second thing is, Egypt will know the Lord in that day and he will make sacrifice and offering in you Worship God in the midst of your mortal fears. And thirdly, it says, yes, and they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And you obey God in the midst of your problems. You know, our problems are small compared to the problems that Israel had with Assyria. But you say, God, here are my problems. And in the midst of these problems, I'm going to seek your will for this problem. I'm going to worship you today in the midst of my battle with this thing. And I'm going to find out what your word says about it, and I'm going to obey you even though it's really messed up. Now if you'll uh, turn your outline over, and we'll, we'll kind of begin the process of wrapping this up. Um, sympathy there, it says on your outline. No one is saying that Judah's problems or yours are small. You know, you may have really uh, significant problems that you're processing right now. They did, and they do. Uh, yeah, the children of Israel did have problems, and they have them today. And you have problems. And so we're not saying that this is small problems. No, these are, these are big problems. These are real problems. But that said, the prophet today has given us this, this paradigm. And he's saying in a review... You have real problems. And sometimes you and I process our problems sinfully. We go to make alliances with the wrong people that God says, don't do that. Do it this way. Do it, do it by acknowledging and worshiping me and seeing my perspective in the world, in your life. Because I have a different perspective and I love your abuser. Oh, 
This is so amazing to me. It's just it, the, this God that he loves Israel, but he loves, he loves the armies that are fighting against them. It, it's, just, it's just amazing, this love that he has. And he says, I can, and I can praise him in the midst of my problems. Now, you saw me put this dollar up here. I, I want to encourage you to, to reach into your wallet literally, and pull out a dollar bill if you have one, or a five or 20, doesn't matter. But if you will um, pull out a dollar. And if you don't have a five or 20, Mark Showman will be happy <laughs> to give you one. I told him I was going to... That's a joke, he's not. So, so we have this dollar, and um, what I want you to do is to try to remember this week, to try to remember this passage and this message that God is, has a different perspective on your problem. What did we, um, when you look on the back of your dollar, what it, or your five, whatever you got, what did we print on the back there? It says, in God we trust. So we're saying, as a nation, we have problems. We have international trade problems. We have relationships with the Russians and the Chinese and the Brazilians and the, you name it, right? The, in Mexico... We're going, to tr- we're going to trust in God. I mean, yes, we're going to trust in God. But this is a reminder, because this is, what, this is what Israel is dealing with now. We have problems with Assyria. We have problems with Egypt. We have problems with our neighbors. We're facing war and extinction. But Isaiah is saying, trust in God. Don't run for an alliance to the Ethiopians. Trust in God. So when you pull out a dollar this week to buy whatever it is you buy, I, I hope you'll remember to, to trust in God. And the future, my future, your future, our future, whether as a nation or a church or a family or individual, is worship. God is in control, and he's going to bring all of the chaos of this life together into a way that brings praise to him. I want to read this uh, prayer of praise on the back and you can just listen and pray quietly or follow along. God, I confess that I have sought many sinful human solutions to my problems. I have made my own life and my comfort an idol at times. Please forgive me for sometimes seeking more intelligence or money to solve my ills instead of first turning to you. Help me to see you as my perfect father, my caring spouse, my master gardener and loving vine dresser. From heaven, you see every season of growth and pruning in my life. May I worship you in the midst of my fear of decline, destruction, and death. May I set my heart on your person and the mighty Savior you have sent. May I be patient with your timing. Mm. Lord, help me seek your glory today and in the time to come. Thank you that you love the Jews all the Arabs, and even a Gentile like me. I see that only you will bring peace to the Middle East, and that only you can bring your peace 
to my heart as I worship you in my fear. You are the Lord of armies and the Lord of anxious souls like mine. Together we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the beauty of your perfections. Amen.